0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, please come for the sake of your Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and send your holy spirit to write the truth of your word upon our hearts that we may not sin against you. We hear so many words, so many voices speaking during the week in the world. So many things vying for our attention and our Loyalty, come now and cut off all these things in our hearts and speak to us from your true word. Help us, Lord, we are weak. Help me, Lord, I am weak. Come strike straight blows through a crooked stick for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. I apologize, there's too many verses printed in your bulletin. The more I studied and read, the more I decided that verse 18 is really the beginning of a passage that goes through verse, uh, well, somewhere into chapter 34, and we'll find out next time where that ends. Um, So tonight, Exodus 33, verse 12 through verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but this, the word of our God, will endure forever. Amen. I'm laughing. I didn't think to tell Caitlin I was going to say this, but I, I don't think I'm saying really much of anything. We fight sometimes. Surprise. I can't stand fighting with my wife. But it happens. And you know that um, that sense of calm when a matter is ended? You know, there still may be, um, you know, everything's not fixed you know, in the household after you've been maybe raising your voice a little bit or you've been pacing around, you follow each other into other rooms sometimes. You know, and you finally are able to get to a point where you're not fighting anymore, where, where the, the miscommunication has been corrected and forgiveness has been extended and everything's not perfectly ironed out and fixed. It's not, it's not all kind of clean and ni- nice and tidy again, but, but you can see the way forward, you know, that sort of sense. This part's over, and now we keep going. That, that is, that's really where we are in this portion of Exodus. Back up a little bit in your minds, and, and we'll, we'll try to bring it all the way forward. Moses Moses was called by God back in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush as he had this sight of the glory of the Lord. He was called by God to go and deliver the people Israel out of Egypt. He was called to bring them out of slavery and to lead them into a land that would be their own. And so he witnesses much provision from the Lord uh, during the plagues as the Lord exhibited and, and displayed His power and His might to the people of Egypt. As they passed through the sea and, and, and it enveloped their enemies behind them, the Lord provided for their protection. And, and in the wilderness, the quail and the manna and, and upon the mountain as the Lord has has dispensed His law, and provided these instructions for worship. The Lord has been pouring Himself out for His people. And then we got to chapter 32. And the people sinned against this God that they had claimed to be their own. They had sinned against the Lord. They drove Him away. While while He had planned to dwell in their midst and had given them all these instructions for the tabernacle complex where he would descend and live among them in the camp, their sin put a separation between them and their God. And, and if it weren't for Moses' mediation that we've read about in now the last chapter or so, if it weren't for his mediation, his going between God and the people, surely the Lord would have consumed them, just as he threatened back in chapter 32. Moses intercedes and the Lord promises, okay, I will still let the people go into the land. This is what we talked about last time. I will still let the people go into the land, but I will not go with you. And now, now we have sort of Moses' response to this truth. You know, we had that little bit back you can even glance up and see in chapter 33 starting in 7 down through 11 this this sort of makeshift meeting place where instead of building a tabernacle in the middle of the camp the Lord says to Moses okay you have to build something outside the camp because I'm not coming close to these people it would be dangerous for me to come near to these wicked sinful rebellious unrepentant people and so Moses sets up a tent of meeting outside that Joshua guards when Moses is not there. And when Moses goes, the cloud descends and he meets with God as with a friend, face to face. Still that discipline by distance, right? The Lord is still perhaps protecting them to get them into the land and they can see that He's around, but He's not nearby. He's, He's far away. And at some point after the erection of that outside tent. Moses is now speaking to God there in verse 12. And we presume that he's speaking to God in this tent of meeting. The cloud has descended upon it and the Lord is speaking to Moses back in verse 11 face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And that may that, that phrase may actually give us a lot to understand why Moses is sort of free with his words. Seems he's a little forward, doesn't it? We'll get into him asking to see the glory of the Lord in the next passage. He's very forward. He's—he's. He's, I mean, it sounds almost like he's arguing with the Lord. There's much more respect in these words than it may sound to our, you know, modern-day ears. But on this particular time, this particular meeting Moses has one thing in his mind and it's really the theme of the whole chapter. It's been lingering perhaps in the back of his mind since the Lord said, I'm not going with you into the land. Moses has been thinking about the presence of God. And he's been wondering about what it will mean that God will not go with them. And so he comes to the Lord here in verse 12 and he pleads with him for particular requests. And all of the requests can really be seen in verses 12 and 13. They're, they're teased out a little bit more as we work our way through the passage. Look at, look at verse 12 and 13 to get going. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor in my sight. And therefore, if, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And consider too that this nation is your people. You know, Lord, Moses says, you have given me this incredible task of bringing the people out of slavery, of being their deliverer and their savior, of of the herald of the good news of God that redemption has come by the hand of Yahweh. You have have given me strength and you've displayed your power and you've let me bring them out. You've promised to, to... to take us into a land flowing with milk and honey and you've provided for us in the wilderness. You you have said that you will come and dwell with us in that land forever and be our God and let us be your people. And you have assigned me, Moses says, the duty of leading the people into this land. But how can I take them if you will not go with us? You said you were going with us back when we came out. And now you're saying you'll let us go in, but, but you're not going to go with us. He says, am I not the person upon whom you have poured your favor? Are these not your people whom you have covenanted to deliver? It may seem, It may seem like Moses is being bold and brash, but he's not. He is asking a lot indeed, but it's entirely appropriate because the basis of Moses' pleadings is the nature of the covenant relationship. That God has promised to be with them and to be their people. And so Moses comes and says, Lord, do not leave us. Why? Because you said you wouldn't. It's in these few verses. I want I want you to see these two things. I want us to see together the power of prayer and I want us to see a great need of a mediator. The power of prayer and our own need of a mediator. It's essentially what Moses is doing, he's praying, he's speaking to God. A privilege that we have through Christ. privilege of prayer. Matthew Henry says of this passage, he says, see here the power of prayer and be quickened hereby to ask and seek and knock and to continue in constant prayer to pray always and not to faint. You know, who would think, we're going to talk about these requests, who would think that God would say yes to these things after what Israel has done But again and again, isn't this what we see? That the Lord is merciful and gracious, and he loves to extend it to his people, that he refuses to be rid of them. There's two particular requests that Moses makes, and and they're both in verses twelve and thirteen. We're only gonna deal with one. We're gonna head up come to the second one next time when we pick up in verse eighteen. What's the main thing he's asking for here? He's come to the Lord after this declaration at the beginning of chapter 33 that you still get to go into the land. What a blessing. What a wonderful thing. But I'm not going to go with you. Moses comes to him here and he says, Lord, you have to come with us. You have to come with us. You see, the Lord answers this in part. We we went through 12 and 13. Look at verse 14. And the Lord said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, this is strange, right? It it can seem strange, because He says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then in verse 15, Moses says, If your presence won't go with me, don't take us up from here. So you kind of, did Moses, like, did his translation not have verse 14? Did he Did he, you know, did he, have to step away for a moment when verse 14 was was spoken verse 14 is interesting the 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 you at the end of 14 where he says i will give you rest it's singular the lord is not speaking about the whole people he's speaking to moses in particular the lord says okay moses It's almost as if he's responding to sort of the first part of Moses' question without addressing the rest of it. Moses says in 12 See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. The Lord says essentially, okay, if you need to know who's going with you, I'll go with you. I'll go with, with you. But only with you. The Lord at this point is still unwilling to deal with the people, He's still unwilling to go with them into the land. But Moses presses the issue. This is how we pray, beloved. This is how we pray. We press the matters that the Lord has placed on our hearts and we plead His promises. Moses could have said, okay. But what had the Lord promised previously? That He would always be with them. That He would always follow them and always lead them. That He would always be in and around them and among them. And so in 15, Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, and now he's speaking about himself in a more corporate sense, if, if, if your presence will not go with us, don't bring us up from here. The Lord may intend to, to take the people into the promised land, but do you see what Moses says? He declares here that without the Lord's presence, the promised land is no different from the wilderness. If you're not going to be there, what's the point in going and he says it there in 16. How, how shall... He asks a question that we know the answer to. He gives the answer. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Isn't it your going with us so that we are distinct? Isn't this what the Lord has always shown? That, that it's His presence among His people that sets them apart from the world? Why did He do battle against all the gods of Egypt those ten plagues? to display that He is the true God, the true and living Almighty Lord. He is the one with them. Isn't this what displays that they are distinct? Isn't His presence what what makes the promised land so good and so desirable? Verse 17 almost feels anticlimactic. Moses is pleading, he's he's arguing, he's got all this good logic in his mind. Lord, you've said you would. and 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. I'll go. I'll go with you. Why? For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. We're going to come back to this when we talk about our need for a mediator But but don't miss that the Lord answers these pleads on the basis of the one making them on behalf of the people. The people aren't worthy. The people didn't find favor in God's sight. Moses had. And so God answers him because he's found favor in his sight. In all of this, see... The, the power of prayer, the significance of prayer in the life of God's people. There's an element of this that, that speaks to the intercession of our mediator. And again, we'll, we'll cover that in, in a few minutes. But just simply, that, that Moses asked the Lord and the Lord responded. Does this, does this register? The King of all creation, the Lord of all glory the one who has all majesty and dominion and power, who displayed it all in bringing the people out of Egypt, the one who parted the sea, the one who's provided food out of nothing. Moses asks him for something. And the Lord says, okay. Without Moses' requests, the people may well have perished. And you know, I, I've been trying to think about this question. It's, it's bad to ask questions of Scripture that Scripture can't answer. This is what I mean. We, we could ask, would God really have abandoned them? He promised not to back when He was first calling them out. And then in 32, He says He's going to consume them, but for Moses' mediation. Would God really have abandoned them? Would he really have gone back on his promise? You know, And based on God's character that we know from all of Scripture, we have to say, well, no, certainly he would not have gone back on his promises. He would have been faithful. And we don't know what that would have looked like. But regardless, we, we may not be able to answer it all the way, but we can say this, that Moses pleaded with the Lord to be faithful, and the Lord responded, yes. It's just an example of the Lord using common everyday things like prayer to to set about His intended purposes for His people. You know, things happen when you pray that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray for them to happen. You know, would we have had a good meeting yesterday with the steering committee from Christ Redeemer in Jonesburg? Would we have a man who's willing to come and who's qualified and who's desirous to shepherd this people? Would we have him and have had that meeting if you all had not prayed for him to come along and for the Lord to provide him? I dare say not. Because things happen when we pray. It wouldn't happen if we didn't pray for them to happen. Would our children and grandchildren ever come to know the Lord? Sitting under the preaching and ministry of the Word, week after week, would they ever come to know the Lord if we didn't pray down the power that the Spirit would give them life through the Word? These things happen when we pray. That might not happen if we didn't pray for them to happen. We don't know how his threat of consummation of this people in 32 squares with the character of God and the faithfulness of God, but maybe they would have been consumed if Moses had not prayed that God would spare them. It's still true for us today you know, we can often separate Old and New Testaments inappropriately. Really, we should not appreciate our, our translators at all, that they put a new and an old in here. We can separate it for ourselves in our minds. There, there needs to be no division. It's one book, one God. God was not a God of answering prayers and miracles just in the Old Testament in wonderful, fantastical ways, but He answers prayers still. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Go, go and look at that later. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's, it's Paul's prescription for an anxious heart. Uh, none of us know anything about anxiety, do we? What does he say? You who are anxious, you pray, just, just let your things be made known to God and peace will come. Peace will fill you. That peace which surpasses your understanding. He says, you don't realize that if you would just say these things to God, that something unimaginable would happen in your hearts, that all of a sudden you would feel a peace because you've given it to your Lord. Because you've let go of that thing that was bothering you. James and James chapter 4 verse 3 has something different to say about our prayers he says you ask and you do not receive we usually just like to quote that first part you have not because you ask not he says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions and so for our context here I would simply say we need to pray like Moses we need to pray with God's promises in view don't ask wrongly. Ask according to God's Word. Ask according to what He has told you He will do. Does He say that He will deliver you from sin and bring you into glory? Yes. Philippians 1.6 He will bring it all to completion. And so you pray, Lord, I don't know how to fight this sin. I don't know how to get through this season. I don't know how to fight this disease. But I know that You said You will see me through it all. So come and fulfill your promise to me. Pray with requests for God to act according to His character. Prayer changes things; it changes circumstances, and and it can can change so many things. But 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 chiefly, as we talked about there in Philippians chapter four, it will change your heart. God often doesn't necessarily. Sometimes God won't answer your prayers with a yes. But he will draw you closer to him as you pray for those things. We know, don't we? We know. He doesn't always say yes. But he is always faithful to see us along and to carry us through. see the power of prayer here and be encouraged to seek the Lord in prayer. Secondly, see your need of a mediator. Moses was their only hope. Joshua couldn't have gone up and talked to God. He was to guard the tent. He couldn't go in the tent. The people weren't allowed to go to the tent. They had to stand in their own doorways. Moses was their only hope. Without a mediator, they had no hope of their own. They had been cut off from God. And with that simple explanation, and without making too large of a jump, I think, I'll say to us that similarly, we need a mediator. Our sin has put a separation between us and our God, and that we cannot approach him. God cannot dwell with wickedness. We need a mediator. And Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2 there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What a cram pat verse that is. So much good Christology. There is one mediator. There is one who goes between us and God. We cannot go on our own. We cannot approach God in our own strength. We need Christ to go for us. What do we mean when we say mediator? Well, we mean a go-between. Somebody that can can talk to God for me and talk to me for God. That, that would have been a, a strict understanding of it, especially as we look at Moses. But in the case of Christ, He did what Moses could not do. Do you remember in Exodus 32 where Moses said, just, just take me and let them go. And what does God say? No, can't do that. Why not? Moses wasn't the Christ But now that Jesus has come, He's not just our mediator, but we can call Him our substitute and our surety. The One who stands in our place and takes upon Himself the wrath of God for our sins. The One who has lived a righteous life in His own right and has transferred that record of righteousness to us. In Him, we gain entrance to God's presence. But more than just being our mediator and our substitute and our surety and our redeemer, to to sort of focus in on what Moses is doing here, Jesus is our intercessor. He, Christian, Jesus prays for you. And this is probably maybe not sound surprising. Tim's been going through, I assume, going through John 17 on Wednesday nights. Jesus prays for His people. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 7, Consequently, He that is God is able to save, rather Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Does that stir you at all to know that in your trials and your troubles and your difficulties and diseases in in all of those, those hard moments of life. You know, moms, when you're at home and you just can't find time to fold the laundry because there's too many noises. This never happens in our house. Jesus is praying for you. You know, when you wonder if your grandkids know the Lord, if you wonder if your kids are raising them properly, Jesus is, is praying for you And if they're his, he's praying for them. You know, Jesus prays with time travel. He does it in John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays ahead to those whom the Lord has chosen to be a part of his people. Jesus prays that they would know and believe. Christ is our intercessor. Our larger catechism in number 55 asks this question, how does Christ make intercession? Christ makes intercession by his appearing in our nature continually before the Father in heaven in the merit of his obedience and sacrifice on earth. That's speaking to, to how he represents us. He became like us, and he has ascended back into heaven, and he stands in heaven as, as the God man. And his obedience that is counted to our record, and his sacrifice that is counted to our record so that sin is no longer against us, he stands in heaven. And the, the catechism goes on and says he declares his will to have these things applied to all believers. That speaks to our sin. When we are here in this world and we continue to fight sin and we fail, we give in again to that thing that we don't want to mention and that we don't ever want to think about and we wish would just go away and die, give, give into it again, the Lord Jesus stands in heaven and prays for you and says, my obedience, my sacrifice, apply it to them. The catechism goes on and says, He answers... All accusations against you and procures for you quiet of conscience. Christian, do you see what God has done for you? He has heard and answered your prayers. He pours out His his goodness upon you as He responds to them. He has provided all you need for life and godliness in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not miss what God has done for you. What a blessing. Isn't Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? May God help us. Amen. Father in heaven, For the sake of our Lord Jesus, come now send your Holy Spirit to write the truth of your word upon our hearts that we may not sin against you. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.